Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. Well, I'm, I'm, glad, uh, I'm glad I get to be with you. Let me read something to you first, and then we'll open the Word. A man and his wife and his mother-in-law went on vacation to the Holy Land. While they were there, the mother-in-law passed away. The undertaker told them you can have her shipped home for $5,000, or you can bury her here in the Holy Land for $150. The man thought about it, told me he'd just soon have her shipped home. The undertaker asked, why would you spend $5,000 to ship her home when it would be wonderful to have her buried here and spend only $150? The man replied, a man died here 2,000 years ago. He was buried here. Three days later, he rose from the dead. I just can't take that chance. Sorry, all the mother-in-laws. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit is in every believer, but he's not upon every believer. He's in me for my sake, but he comes upon me for yours. And we were designed to actually host the Spirit of God not just as one who dwells in us. I'm so thankful for that. I never want to underestimate or undervalue that incredible privilege of being a living temple of God. But when Jesus was baptized in water, he came up out of the water, and in John's Gospel, chapter two, when he came up out of the water, the heavens opened. Interestingly, the word in Mark, talks about the clouds parting. The word parting there is actually a violent term. It's the same word used to describe the tearing of the veil in the temple at the death of Christ and the splitting of the rocks. Because it's a violent term, it actually illustrates to us that there was a spiritual force of darkness influencing that period of time. And when Jesus came up out of the water, there was a violence in heaven to release the Spirit of God upon him. The Bible goes on to say that the Holy Spirit came upon him in the form of a dove, and the key phrase is, and remained. Came upon him in the form of a dove and remained. What took place in that passage is actually an answer to Isaiah's prayer in Isaiah 64, where he says, rend the heavens and come down. The Father did exactly what Isaiah had prophesied with intercessory prayer, that the Father himself would tear the heavens open and the Spirit of God would be released upon Jesus. I understand Jesus is the eternal Son of God, there's no question but he chose to live with limitations. He could have done everything as God. I mean, if he walked on water and performed miracles and did everything that he did as God, I'm I'm still impressed, but I'm reduced to a spectator. No one could follow that. But when I find that Jesus did everything he did, the multiplying of food, the raising of the dead, the stilling the storm, that he did everything he did as a man submitted to God, 
then suddenly I'm no longer satisfied to stay where I'm at. I am compelled to pursue the standard that's been set. He described himself as the son of man. Please don't misunderstand, eternally God. Never stop being God. But he chose to live with limitations to give us something that we could actually follow. He illustrated something that was doable. Just two qualifications. Number one, you had to have no sin. And the blood of Jesus makes that available for every person on planet Earth. For all who put their faith in Christ, the atoning work that he did for us, it settles the issue. And sin is silenced. Sin is silenced, is no more. <clears throat> Wiped away, removed from its ongoing power to destroy a person's life. But the second qualification to walk in what Jesus walked in is we have to be completely dependent and filled with the Holy Spirit. Dependent upon and filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus actually illustrated the normal Christian life. I'm not making this up. He's the one who said, and greater works than these shall you do. So Jesus models something that actually can and must be followed. So here he is, he comes up out of the water, the heavens are torn open, as it, 64, torn open, the Spirit of God comes upon him and remains. There's something about that story, there's something about this illustration that Jesus became for all of us that provokes a hunger in me, provokes a jealousy, I, I, I hope I can use that in a righteous sense. A jealousy for what he has made available that is actually possible for us to taste of, to live in. There are certain stories, experiences that Jesus had that really, they really mess me up in a good way, you know, they just mess me up. I finally figured it out, it's all about Jesus. That's uh, when in doubt, just, it's all about Jesus. <clears throat> and so what, when I look at these stories and I see Jesus walking through town, crowds are pressing in all around him. You've got you've to understand, everybody wants to, be, wants to get a selfie with Jesus, you know. They're, they're all trying to get in close. They want to be able to tell their kids, their grandkids, I was there. And every word that comes out of his mouth, they are stunned by the miracles that take place. Everything, everything is beyond anything they could have asked for. As the crowd is pressing in close, they all want to get as close as they can. Jesus suddenly stops and he said, somebody touched me, which of course sounded like the funniest thing in the world to the disciples because everybody was touching him. But the touch was different. A woman touched just the edge of his clothing and she was healed. Here, here's, here's the thing that, that challenges me. Jesus is walking, conversation, being bumped about through a crowd, crazy, you know, people trying to get close to him. And he was so aware of the presence of God upon him that when a woman made a withdrawal 
he could tell. He, he wasn't sitting there, you know, soaking and, you know, just in a worship time and then realized that there was, there was a demand on the anointing that he carried. It wasn't that. It was, it was the craziness of city life, of people hustling and bustling about trying to get close. And it was in that chaos that he realized something he was carrying, somebody put a demand on. There was a withdrawal. Not a withdrawal in the sense that he was lacking because he had the spirit without measure. So there wasn't something missing, but he was aware of, can I say, a, a flow, a, an impartation, a presence that went forth from him, power went forth from him, and he turned and he said, somebody touched me. And of course the woman is as embarrassed as can be, she's not supposed to be in public. And she was healed. There are so many of these stories. You know, when Jesus said, greater works than these shall you do, that's kind of what Paul checked into when they took articles of clothing and sent it somewhere else. For Jesus, they came and touched him, but for Paul, he was able to send clothing somewhere else from his own person, and they were healed and set free. So here's Peter walking to a prayer meeting. <clears throat> you know, you gotta try to imagine that people are putting their sick relatives in the street so that his shadow will touch them. It, it, how, did that, how did that happen? I mean, you know, Peter didn't put up a sign, you know, watch my shadow today, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't that sort of thing. It was, it was somehow people realized that when they got close to him, they got well. Now, your shadow will always release whatever overshadows you. Giving place to a person is why we're on the planet. It's not just that he, I'm thankful he's in me, he convicts me, he guides me, he teaches me, he empowers me. All that important stuff is a huge part of my life, but he longs to rest upon me to make shadows sing again. There's something about this thing where they put the sick people along the road and the shadow touches them and they get well and you just gotta figure out somewhere along the line, people just notice they got well when they got close to them. And so there's this ongoing narrative that was never, never taught, but always implied that he's come to rest upon you. Being the person that he rests upon is, is for me, is, is life itself. I remember we used to live in this little community and, and there was a wonderful health food store and that's where we like to shop. And, but it was, the, it was not the seventh day kind of health food store. It was the kind that held all the gurus and all the other things going on, you know. A lot of spiritual activity in the room. <clears throat> and uh, and that's, that's where we like to go. And, I remember I would, the, the store was right across my office, so I would walk uh, to the post office. Um, it's where we had to get our mail. We didn't have home delivery in that little community. So I would walk over and get the mail, and I'd come back, and I would go through that store. But what I'd do is I'd walk to the back of the store, back door, and I'd just stop for a moment until I became conscious of the Holy Spirit upon me. See, wherever you set your affections, he'll come. So I just take that moment just to turn my affection 
toward him. And as soon as I had that awareness of the presence of God, and, and don't think that's not practical. Don't think that is some abstract, no, that's the normal Christian life. It's, it's why he said, if you abide in me, and my word abides in you, if you abide in me, there's that felt reality of presence. I'm not talking about emotions that go up and down. I'm talking about the fact that God, the almighty God, is actually right here. My friend Larry Randolph put it best. He says, if God is as big as he says he is, he shouldn't be that hard to find. So, <clears throat> so here, just take this moment until I could just sense the presence. And then I would walk, and of course I wanted the cheese and whatever over there, but I'd walk up and down all the aisles, you know. I've kind of felt like I was one of those rainbow sprinklers, you know, just trying to soak the entire atmosphere with, with the presence of the Lord. And I know, now that one sounds weird, but that's how, that's, that's how I function. <clears throat> One day the owner called me and said, Bill, come here. I walked in the store and he took me over to the vegetable section. <laughs> and he said, Bill, when you walk in the store, something's different. Now, I was not the only believer, but I might have been the only one that stopped to give him place to rest. See, your shadow will always release whatever overshadows you. If I'm filled with anger, resentment, if I am filled with fear, um, that will always, no matter what kind of smile I paste on my face, my, my, my presence will actually create an anxiety in the room because that's what overshadows me. Learning to give place to the affection of Christ. Paul said, you're restricted by your affections. He's such a lover that just turning my heart towards him, anytime we do as we did tonight in worship, we just turn our heart towards him, he, he just comes. He's so, he's so attracted to your love. The angels stand in awe. They don't understand the redemptive work that's taken place. And when they watch you and me give place to this person of the Holy Spirit, some, something, something happens. See, when you give place to the Holy Spirit to rest on you, more good things happen by accident than ever used to happen on purpose. <clears throat> you know, we, we've seen he, uh, shadows heal. It wasn't by groaning extra hard. It was just by being in love. Wow, that's so good. It's not great bold acts of faith. I believe in those. But sometimes, sometimes we need to use our faith just to explore him just to anchor into him. He's a person that longs for a relationship. Fear will always attract whatever information is needed to legitimize its existence. And if ever there was a season we needed to remember that, fear will always attract whatever information is necessary to legitimize its existence. Wow, that's good. We guard our hearts simply by being in fellowship. We were talking today at such a wonderful time of fellowship, my wife and I did, <clears throat> on the flight over here, and it was, just, it was just wonderful, 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 just to share the love of God together. But I, 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 I've seen so many things happen through the years, you know, as all of us have, but I've seen people shake under the power of God, I've seen them shake under the power of demons, and I've seen them shake because they wanted attention. <laughs> and they all look the same. 
So if the way you grade something is by an acceptable list of manifestations, you're gonna have a problem because you'll get it right sometimes and you'll get it wrong sometimes. But when you get to know a person, there's a fragrance, there's a sense of presence when he comes. And you may not even understand what he's doing, but you know enough to cooperate, you know enough not to interfere. I'm so thankful for this church. I'm, I, I sat over there or stood over there tonight in worship. Just, I, I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you for giving place to the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do. Thank you, thank you, thank you. As a church body, as a family, thank you for doing that. I want you to look at a couple verses with me. If you would turn to Gospel of John and uh, go to chapter 20, and I'm gonna read a verse for you out of Genesis while you're going there. <clears throat> Do you remember in uh, Matthew chapter um, 10, Jesus talks to his disciples and he says, he said, go and tell people the kingdom of heaven is at hand, heal the sick, cast out devils, cleanse lepers, raise the dead, Freely you have received, freely give. I can't prove it, but I have a feeling the disciples were clueless of what he was talking about. You know, first of all, how do you go into a house? I'm sorry, later he explains and he goes on and he says, and when you walk into a house, let your peace remain on that house. Luke's gospel just confuses me all the more. He says, you go into a house, you release your peace on the house, and if they don't receive it, take it back. I'm sure the disciples are going. <laughs> First of all, how do you get the peace out? And then if you're sensitive enough to recognize when people don't receive it, how do you get it back? But see, that was, that was practical cooperation with the Holy Spirit. That was, that was Holy Spirit 101 for Jesus. This is what you do. So the disciples are in this, in this quandary trying to figure out how to do what Jesus said to do. And another amazing thing is Jesus said heal the sick. He didn't say pray for the sick. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? Yeah, but Bill, we're not the healers. I know. It, it bothers me too. It, it's like I'm supposed to take ownership of my assignment so deeply that I embrace it as though it were something I could choose to do. See, the Lord's already created this momentum. It's just the people who stand in the momentum that see things happen. It's the cooperation with his declared will, his revealed will. So are you in John 20? 10 of you, that's awesome. I've worked with less, so it's all right, it's all right. Let me just read this to you. <clears throat> he sent out from himself a dove to see if the waters had receded from the face of the ground. The dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot. She returned into the ark to him, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand, he took her, and drew her into the ark to himself. He waited yet another seven days, and he sent the dove out from the ark. And then the dove came to him in the evening, and behold, a freshly plucked olive leaf was in her mouth. 
and no one knew that the waters had receded from the earth. What's the international symbol of peace? It's that, it's that olive branch in the dove. And this is where it's rooted in. So he waited yet another seven days, and he sent out the dove, which did not return to him anymore. Jesus said, when you go into a home, let your peace remain on that home. When we realize what and who is released in our obedience, this makes, under, this makes sense. But from a distance, it's one of the most abstract, impractical bits of instruction Jesus ever gave. But when you understand Jesus, for example, in John chapter one, verse 14, he identifies himself as, or he's identified as the word of God made flesh. But on John, in John six, verse 63, he says the word of God is made spirit. Jesus only says, that's a good point, Bill, by the way, that was an excellent point there, just keep it up. Jesus only says what he hears his father say, he only does what he sees his father do. We know that, right? So now Jesus has just talked to a crowd, he's told them they gotta eat his flesh, drink his blood, they're, they're grossed out, they all leave him. He's left with the 12 and he turns to the disciples and he says, um, he said, my words to you are spirit and they are life. And then he asked Peter, are you gonna go with the rest of the crowd? He asked his disciples, Peter says, where are we gonna go? You have the words of eternal life. You know what I think Peter was saying? Jesus, we don't understand what you just taught any more than the crowd that left. But what we do know is that whenever you talk, we come alive inside. See, your heart can receive things your mind is not yet ready for. That's why we miss it often when we think our hearing is proven by our comprehension. How many of you have times where you just can't hear the voice of the Lord, but you sense his peace? Nobody raised their hand, so you guys don't do that here? I'm just teasing you. That was his voice. That presence, that's his voice. He is the word of God. When he comes in presence, he is there in voice. But what he's doing is he's ministering deeply to our spirit man, depositing things that we don't need today, but we'll, we will need in days to come. As a friend of mine once said, God is willing to offend your mind to reveal your heart. So here we are in the story, it's a brilliant story of Noah, he releases the dove, finally the dove is released and doesn't come back anymore. I'd just like to suggest that the Lord is looking for people that will truly host him. That there can be not just an impartation of gifts, not just an impartation of, of encouragement and strength, but actually the privilege of releasing presence into a place. Jesus said it, my words to you are spirit, and that spirit gives life. I want you to, you're already open to John 20, so I better catch up. John chapter 20 is a wonderful, wonderful part, uh, part of this story, storyline. <clears throat> and um, I want to go right to verse 19, the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. 
don't know about you, the way I figure it, anytime Jesus says, peace be with you, it's because I have a really good reason to be afraid. <clears throat> Jesus, these guys are, are afraid they're gonna die. I mean, let's, let's be honest, they're afraid that they're next. They just saw Jesus crucified. They're hiding because they're afraid of the Jews. And when someone walks through the wall, it doesn't help your fear issues. It doesn't, it doesn't solve any of that anxiety stuff you got going on, you know. And so if you look at this, he says, peace to you. What did he tell them to do in, uh, in when they walk into a home? Release your peace on the home. So this is what Jesus did. Peace be to you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. <laughs> I love that. He showed them the hands and side. Then they were glad. In other words, when he first walked through the wall, they weren't glad. They were not glad. He said, peace to you. They said, we're not having it. You can just imagine a dove flying around the room going, man, there's no place to land here. <laughs> And so Jesus, Jesus shows them the hands and his side. He shows them that he's the, the crucified one. He's their Lord. And then they were glad that it was him. It's so amazing to me that he chose to show up different. And he still does it. He still shows up different than what we're accustomed to. Everybody wants him to do a new thing just as long as he does it the way he's always done it. Because he chooses to work in such a way that we actually can only recognize it by presence. Amen, Bill. Good. <laughs> Keep it up. Don't quit. You say, well, it's got to be according to the word. That's true. Absolutely. Absolutely. Everything has to have its root in the word. But do you remember when Paul tried to go to Asia on a mission trip? What is the commission of the Lord? Go into all the world. Is Asia a part of all the world? Yes. When he tried to go, the Holy Spirit said, no. See, just because you found something that is biblical doesn't mean it's in the heart of God for you for right now. And the only way we know that is by voice. We only know that by, by the relationship with the person. I love the fact that Paul was ready to go anywhere. He was functioning out of the principle of go into all the world, but he was also sensitive to the presence of God to show him when and where. And he could tell him not to go there, so he backed off. And it wasn't until he had a dream where the man from Macedonia had this call, the Macedonian call, we, we call it, where he knew where he was supposed to go. And there's this, there's this, um, there's this need in us to maintain this awareness of presence, this awareness of a person who sometimes gives us overt commands and other times it's so subtle, you actually, it's like somebody with a real soft voice. You have to actually lean in their direction to hear what they're actually saying. And, and the Lord requires us to do the adjustment to hear well. Now when you're first saved, he would just talk to you right up front. But as you become more and more mature, he hides his voice so that you'll grow to find it. It's, it's absolutely true. He's, he says in Proverbs 25 verse two, he says, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to search out a matter. It's the glory of God to conceal. But he doesn't hide 
from us, he hides for us. That was another good one, Bill. Come on. He doesn't hide from us. He hides. It's too late. It's too late. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he hides. He doesn't hide from us. He hides for us. It's kind of like I, I don't know. You guys may be more spiritual and don't do Easter egg hunts, but we have grandkids. We love hiding eggs. You know, I've got one grandson. He's. We hide cash in uh, plastic eggs, and he's a cash only uh, kid. He, <laughs> He picks up the egg, he shakes it. If there's no rattle, it's not for him. It's not the will of God that he picks up an egg egg. He wants the cash, so. But you know, we don't hide the eggs and then go in the house. You know, we're, we're outside, we hide the eggs all over, and then we turn the kids loose. We have a, a, 11 grandkids. We don't turn them loose and then go in the house. Why? Because our delight is in their discovery. And they've got a dual delight. They love the discovery, but they also like looking back at me or grandma or whoever uh, was involved in the eggs to look back to see the approval, the delight of the parent, the caregiver in their discovery. He's the same, only better. He hides stuff for us. Do you know why he taught in parables? It wasn't to reveal truth, it was to hide truth from those who are unwilling to obey what they would hear. He would hide truth in a story so that only the hungry could get it. Why? Because he's, he's a God of love. If he just randomly throws out revelation, then he increases their responsibility and their accountability. And if they don't have a heart to follow what he says, he's not going to increase their responsibility. In his mercy, he hides things. So here we are in this, I think it's just such a beautiful story. He said, when he said this, verse 20 again, he said, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I send you. Peace to you. The first time he released presence, there was no place to land. You know, which really should tell us something about what anxiety and fear does. You say, well, he comes to comfort us. It's, it's true, it's true. But this abiding presence that we host and carry, um, I said earlier, I said he's in me for my sake, but he comes upon me for yours. What does that mean? When he rests upon us, we change the atmosphere of any room we walk into. We actually become contributors to a holy atmosphere of God in a room. You've had this happen where maybe, uh, maybe there's been a loss of a loved one or there's an emergency at the hospital or whatever and everybody's all anxious and one person walks in and makes one statement that just seems to clear the air. And, and it's not because, it's not because it, it was a doctor that says there's no problem. It's because there was presence involved in speech. Jesus said, my words to you are spirit and they are life. So what did he say here? He said, peace be to you. And then he says, as the Father sent me, I send you. And the very next verse, he breathed on them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. I'd like to suggest that our number one assignment is to host and to release the Spirit of God. Let him find where to land. That's his job. But what we do is become a people that through deep affection, absolute heart of romance for God, give him a place to rest. So that when we walk into difficult situations, I don't always know what to do, I rarely know what to do. 
but I know one who does know what to do. And if something happens in that presence where people unconsciously draw from what they see, they'll call it a good vibe. We have, we have a, a particular, uh, there are businessmen in our area that want to hire people from our church. And, they, and their reasoning is, um, is they change the atmosphere of their store. So what is that? They, they don't know, but they're being discipled in valuing the presence. They don't know that, but they've been, they've been uh, an appetite is being created in them, a hunger for God himself. They don't, they don't know what to call it. They call it a good vibe, they call it peace, they call it any number of things, but what they know, what they know for sure is that when I'm with this guy, I feel better about life. What is that? It's, a, it's, it's mentoring. It's mentoring in the public place, in the marketplace. It's mentoring people to have a value for things. Do you know that just because you live next door to an unbeliever, the moment you moved in, their options changed. What I mean by that is they have a financial crisis. Maybe a year earlier, they never would have thought of praying, but because you're now in their life, you now host presence. You have, you have changed the options that they draw from, and they still may not choose righteously, but something comes to mind that never came to mind before, and that is there may be a God who actually cares about our finances. It's the person. <clears throat> this wonderful Holy Spirit is constantly bringing hope. One of our women years ago came out of a prayer time and told us this, and our, our whole team now, uh, none of us can claim it because she said it first, but, uh, but a lot of us would like to. She came out of this prayer time. She said, the Lord spoke to her and said, the person with the most hope will always have the most influence. Let me try this side of the room. The person with the most hope will always have the most influence. Me. All right, all right. I sense a little insincerity there, but it's all right. I, I, <clears throat> so the person, see, both hope and hopelessness are contagious. What do you want to seed the clouds of your community, your workplace, your school? What do you want to seed the clouds with? Because there's not one thing that's going on in the earth that God is worried about. Every single problem, it may be a relational problem in this room, it may be an ecological, economic problem, it may have to do with nations, it may have to do with war and military, it could be any, any size of a problem. Every single problem, he has an answer for it in his mind at this moment. And what did the scripture say? Proverbs 25 says, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it's the glory of kings to search out a matter. If we ever discover our royalty and that we actually have legal access to the mysteries of God and we are welcome to pursue them by invitation, then maybe we will seek him for solutions, not so that we become the know-it-alls, but so that we become people equipped to serve humanity well. So Jesus illustrates what I think the disciples missed personally in Matthew 10. Let your peace go on the house. 
they don't take it, take it back. <laughs> I can just see. <laughs> you know, I mean, how, do you, how do you get rid? And then what's even harder is how do you get it back? You know? <clears throat> but Jesus releases the presence, literally the presence of God. His words, see, his words were spirit. So when he said peace to you, he was actually releasing something of substance over their lives. It could change everything. And their anxiety, their fear level was so high that there was no place for the Spirit of God to rest. Yes, he can come and heal. Yes, he can come in comfort. But that's not what, just what they were born for. They were just not born to be a comfortable group of people. They were designed to carry presence in a life-changing way. They're designed, I, I like to put it this way, the Holy Spirit is in you as a river, not a lake. He wants to flow through you and alter the geography around you. <laughs> Learning to cooperate. So this is, uh, this is kind of a, a, little, a quick class that we get to have together. And in a few minutes, we're going to pray. And here's what I want to pray, just to kind of bait you and let you know where I'm headed. You guys are already set up. I mean, what you've experienced here, the life of this church, what's already what you've already been taught, your own history in God is, is already so significant. The world is aching for what you have. And, and I, I, I'm, not, I'm not here to try to encourage people to work harder. I'm not here to try to increase the, you know, whatever, the offerings or the fastings or the prayers or, all oh, that's fine, but that's not why I'm here. Why I'm here is to say, you're richer than you know. You're richer than you know. And sometimes, sometimes we just need to go to the back of that grocery store and just turn our affection towards him and then go do what we're supposed to do. I, I didn't go in groaning and travailing and declaring thus saith. I went to buy cheese. <laughs> but when he's resting upon you, Everything changes, everything changes. It's, this is for real, this is not pretend. This is not Christian hype, this is reality. This is what you were born for. Do you know that you and I were designed to seamlessly interact with God? Designed, everything about you, your senses. Hebrews 5, the mark of a mature teacher in Hebrews 5 is their senses are trained to discern good and evil. If you go to work at a bank, when they want you to learn to spot counterfeit money, they only train you with the real thing. And having senses trained to discern good and evil means that you activate everything about you in the presence of God as an expression of adoration. And we become so exposed to what is real that when the counterfeit shows up, we know exactly there's something wrong. We know by presence. We, know, we don't know just because we have a, an acceptable chart or a list of you know, acceptable manifestations. We know because of presence. I remember one Sunday morning, I was sitting right down front where I usually sit, and a young lady came, stood before me, and she was doing all kinds of weird things, but we have so much weird stuff going on that a lot of you would be very uncomfortable. The reason I know is I get uncomfortable. <laughs> you know, the Sunday we had a guy painted half blue, 
with a sword run across the front of the sanctuary like Braveheart, you know. I, I knew, uh, and then we had another sodden day with uh, a woman in a wedding gown with combat boots, so I figured that was, that was a good day right there. And we, you know, we, you know, we have people gathered around the front, it's like a mosh pit down the front, and some guy's doing acrobatic flips in the air. He is, he's just running across the front. I've never seen this before in worship. I thought, this is very unusual. <laughs> Runs across, he's doing, this, he's doing this whole thing. He goes, he goes back three or four times, and he looks up at me, and I go, one more. You know, I'm, 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 a, I'm afraid somebody's gonna break their neck, you know? So when I say this was weird, you have to put it in context. We have a lot of weird. But so she's doing this stuff, and I, I couldn't tell. Sometimes the Lord will shut off your normal ability to hear to force you to learn to hear otherwise. And so I, I actually, I was, I was standing there, and it felt cold around me. And I thought, well, that's strange, because it didn't feel that way a minute ago. So I walked over here about 10 feet away, and it was, temperature was fine. So I remembered a demonic encounter that my brother experienced. Long story, won't take you into it. But the evidence of the enemy's work was actually a temperature change. And so I, I went over to our, uh, we have a, a, a dance group. I went over to our head dancer. I said, I need you to dance, Summer. We need to break something. I didn't tell her who, where, what, anything. And she just began to dance before the Lord. And the moment she did, this gal fell as though she were held up by puppet strings and somebody cut them. She just collapsed into a ball right in front of us. <clears throat> so I leaned over to Benny and uh, she reached forward and brought a, a beautiful deliverance to this young lady and gave her a group discount. It was really good. Got rid of all of the, <clears throat> all of the aliens on board. <laughs> Too many birds on her antenna. Yeah, was. <laughs> and she got free. How? how? Senses. When I teach stuff like this, I know that I'm giving weird people permission to be weirder. <laughs> and you know who you are. <laughs> but at, at home, when we pursue these truths, I, I want you to hear me carefully. I know that somebody will miss it and get it wrong. But maybe, there's 10 people in the room that will get it right and shape the course of history. Maybe. Maybe. I'm, I love my Bible so much. I love the Word of God. And I'm in this lifelong journey, and I, I, I personally think we're going to be studying and reading this throughout all of eternity. I don't think there's any bottom. The depth is so rich. I, I tell people, you know, people will tell me, they'll say, I love Jesus, I just don't love the Word. And I say, don't oh, slap yourself. What's the matter with you? This, this is Jesus in print. And they say, well, I don't remember what I read. I go, well, I, I don't remember what I had for breakfast last Friday, but it still nourished me. But this book opens in relationship.
is not something that is open for examination at a distance. He will allow a certain amount of that. But most of the questions you have can only be discovered in the journey, in the relationship. What I have found, the thing that attracts the voice of the Lord into my life and into people around me, attracts the voice of the Lord, the clearest, the best, the most profound, is when we say yes before he gives a command. Try this setup here. There's something that attracts the voice of the Lord. I, I heard real recently. There's something that attracts the voice of the Lord into our lives, profoundly so, and that is our yes before he speaks. <laughs> all right, you're even now, you're even, all right. All right. I, I didn't want to end the evening unfair, you know, unbalanced here, we got both sides. But seriously, think about this for a moment, then we're gonna pray. The absolute abandonment to the purposes of God, the will of God, literally draws and attracts the voice of the Lord. It's the willingness to obey. It's the signing the contract before the contract is filled out. It's signing my name to the bottom, and then I say, here, write what you wish. I feel like there's this, there's this commissioning to host a person in a way that will be new for all of us. So why don't you stand? We're gonna take some time to pray together over this, this issue. You know, we, we love so much uh, the miracles that take place, and uh, I, I will never get tired of it. Never get tired of it. I'm so thankful. I grew up not seeing them, just reading them in the Bible. And uh, so I've, I've gone without and I've had with, and, and I like having them better. So I've, I've decided to hold to that standard. And it's the normal part of the Christian life. It's actually normal. Do you know it's normal in the presence of the Lord for tumors to dissolve? Do you know it's normal? We actually, we, we, we've actually experienced, we don't have time tonight, but we, we've experimented, and it's the only way I know to learn, so that may be offensive, but, but we experiment. We experiment to see what he might be willing to do in a giving, given situation. And you guys have already, um, you know, you, you've already got out, way out of grade school into, into college in this area of of hosting a person, being willing to give place to the Holy Spirit to do whatever he wants to do. I saw a woman standing right back here in our gathering, has esophagus cancer, and she begins to worship. She feels this fire come on her hands, and she turns to her husband, she said, I've just been healed. I don't know how she thought fire on her hands would heal an esophagus, but she actually, she said that. She said, I've just been healed. She told her doctor, the doctor said, this kind of doesn't go away. When he examined her, he said, not only do you not have cancer, you have a brand new esophagus. The stories, the stories like that are honestly without end. They're ongoing and continuous. And so what I'm, what I'm wanting to do is I'm wanting to seed the cloud, so to speak, that when you come into this place as this amazing church, family of believers, anticipate what God might want to do. Lean in. You can, we can't make anything happen, but we can cooperate. 
We can't co we can't anticipate. We can't pray specifically. We can't say, God, we are here to see the tormented set free. We are here to see those who have fatal diseases in their body, to see those things broken. We are here for that reason. And I know that that already happens, but I feel like for you and for, for us, we are, we are at the beginning of a dramatic acceleration. A dramatic acceleration of all things good, of all things right. So I'm just going to ask you, just join with me in prayer for a minute. I want to just sense how he wants to do this. But I want you just to begin to pray with me for the presence of God to truly rest upon you. Ask him to teach you how to anchor your affections in him. My language may not be the best. It's what I use. It's, how, it's, how, it's when I get in bed at night, the first thing I do is I turn my affection towards the Lord because I want to go to sleep engaged with him. See, your day begins at night. Genesis 1 says there was night and there was day which made the first day. People would have a better day if they had a better night. And I feel we're supposed to engage with him. Let him minister deeply. I wake up in the night, I turn my affection towards him. The whole point is, is I, I believe he is equipping this house to accelerate in glory, in anointing, in breakthrough. 